0: Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you join us for the program. What's the greatest purpose you could have whilst alive on this earth? Tough question, isn't it? But if you're a Christian, the answer is easy. There is no higher cause than to be committed to the cause of Christ. What does that look like? Well, tonight, Dr. Corbett, again in the New Testament book of Colossians, explores exactly what it is to be committed to the cause of Christ. Let's join him now.
1: Father, open our ears, open our eyes, remove the clutter from our minds, remove everything that obscures our vision of you, help us to see what we need to see today in your word. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Colossians Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at the closing paragraph of Colossians. And that's from verses 24 to 29. And I hope to not only feed your minds, but stir your hearts as well as we look at this. Let me remind you, as I have done with each of these sessions in Colossians, that this is a church that Paul is writing to them has never been to. It's in the region today known as Turkey and it was near one of the seven churches of the book of Revelation, right near Laodicea. And it was founded by a a man who was probably saved under Paul's ministry in Ephesus. Paul was in Ephesus, which is also one of the, the main cities in that day in Turkey. And we find that Paul in his very influential ministry in Ephesus had, it says, it records in in Acts that the entire region had been evangelized. That's a huge statement. And part of that would have been people who had come to Ephesus, heard Paul. We, We know that Paul taught every day in a Bible college there. And the entire region would have been evangelised and probably this man Epaphras would have gone back to his hometown of Colossae and began to share the teachings with people who were seeking God. And as a result a church was birthed and the church that was birthed was made up of Jews and Gentiles, mainly Gentiles. And within a very short period of time this church came under attack As any church will. And rather than the stupid teaching that circulates in some sectors, mainly of the charismatic church, that when a church is under attack, all you have to do is bind it and loose it and cast it out, which is nowhere prescribed in Scripture, Paul the Apostle's response to attack is the truth. And if you understand in Ephesians, which is the letter that he wrote simultaneously to the Colossians, Paul talks to that church, the Ephesian church, which is the most written to church in the New Testament. And that was a church under attack as well. And he tells them that they are to do certain things. And if you have a look at it, nearly all of it pertains to having your mind transformed by the word of God so that your hearts are guarded, your minds are protected, you're ready to act on truth. If you think about the the, the warfare uh, weaponry and armoury described in Ephesians 6, the helmet of salvation, a renewing of your mind, the breastplate of righteousness, the truth guards your heart. The belt of truth You're ready to act on the truth and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. Then, of course, the sword of the Spirit is the word of God and the shield of faith, and faith comes from the word. So, to the Apostle Paul, when a church is under attack, it's not intercessory prayer that's needed, although we'll see what Paul has to say about that soon, it's the truth that's needed. And to Paul, the preaching of the truth put a shield of protection around a church. And as he writes this to the Colossians, we can read that really what he's doing is he's charging the young pastor, Epaphras, to handle the word of God in such a way that when error comes into the church, it's confronted, it's spoken to, And the truth is upholded. Now one of the interesting things is that Paul, in dealing with the errors that are coming against the Colossian church, which were twofold, one was this group called the Gnostics, Gnosis in Greek is the word for knowledge and it sounds like know-it-all, and these were people that claimed to have special knowledge, They, they were a mystery cult. I want you to hear that word mystery because Paul You can read Colossians and you'll miss Paul the Comedian. Although he doesn't think it's very funny, but if you think about it, he's actually being very funny in a cutting sort of way. As he addresses the errors of the Gnostics who claimed that Jesus was somebody who was just enlightened, he attained a higher knowledge, and then if you want to attain that higher knowledge... You have to be initiated into our knowledge. And that means, essentially, the Gnostics taught, all matter, especially your flesh, is evil. All desires are evil. All appetites are evil. So they would fast. They would deprive their bodies. They would literally whip themselves. They would do all kinds of things, claiming that what they were doing was being very spiritual. That was one error that was creeping in to the Colossian church. The other error were the people who were Judaizers. And these were Jewish Christians who said, yes, we accept Jesus is the Messiah. Yes, we accept that if you want to be made right with God, you have to put your faith in Jesus. But you also have to keep the law of Moses. So these people taught that, yes, it's faith in Jesus plus something you do. Now, when Paul responds to these, he doesn't just go head on to the jugular and sort of just direct his attack full frontal on these. What he does, as we'll see in this epistle, is he says the problem with both of these errors is the same. They don't understand who Jesus is. They don't get it. And today... As I listen to some of the popular TV preachers who have followers in the millions around the world, they, I, I hear Paul talking about their errors. I hear Paul saying, Jesus is not just a man who got the Christ anointing. There's one very famous white suit wearing TV evangelist, who says that Jesus became the Son of God when he was incarnated. He became the Son of God when he was born in Bethlehem. Anyone ever read John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. He was already the Son. And if God is the eternal Father, as far as I know, and I went to public school, so you'll have to forgive me if I'm a bit slow, but... If you're an eternal father, there's only one thing you need to be an eternal father. That's an eternal son. Did I move too quick for those private school educated people? See, it's an error to say that Jesus became God. It's an error to say that Jesus was a man who became Christ. It's an error. So what's Paul going to do? He's going to say... You don't understand Jesus. Jesus is the eternal God. By him all things were created. All things, not all other things, all things. Not only does he say that, he says that when he created all these things, Colossians 1:16, they were created for him. Why are you on this planet? For Jesus. Why do you wake up in the morning and have breath in your lungs? For Jesus. Why have you got anything? Anything. Because Jesus has given it to you. All things exist for Jesus. And Paul is now going to talk about in this epistle what that means. If Christ is preeminent and if he died for us and he's now taken upon himself a new bride. And if we understand that we are that bride, if we belong to Christ, and he is the God of creation, he's the God who is supreme, it'll change your life. And Paul, writing from this prison cell, says to Epaphras, look, here's the problem. These Jewish Christians don't understand really who Jesus is. These know-it-all Gnostics over here, they don't get it either. So let's deal with the one problem and tell them who Jesus really is. And when you get that, you'll see that you don't need to come to Jesus and repent. You don't need to come to Jesus and believe. You'll see that you just come to Jesus. Now, I know that for some people, they're going to hear of what? I don't have to repent? No, I didn't say that. What? You don't have to believe? No, I didn't say that either. But we sang the song this morning, great, great song. Take me as I am. I come to you just as I am. That old hymn that was sung many times at the Billy Graham Crusades. Just as I am. Without one plea. Just as I am. And there's so many people think they have to do something in order to be accepted by God had lunch with someone this week who said one of the biggest problems they find, and they're a professional mentor, and they said this, the biggest problem I find with Christians is they don't understand who they are. Who are you? If you're a Christian, you're a child of God. What does that mean? AJ shared it over communion this morning. You have been justified. What does that mean? When you sin, when you will sin, it means we can come to God and say, Father, I'm sorry, and we're forgiven because we're a child. Parents, ever been mad, angry, upset at your children's disobedience? Absolutely. Absolutely. But do you, do you stop being their dad or their mom? Do you stop loving them like a parent? No, of course not. And when you understand you're in that kind of relationship with God, you, you, you abandon this stupid teaching that you're saved until you sin there are some people who think if they've sinned and they haven't repented, they'll go to hell. And that is absurd. That is just, that is just absurd. It, it, we don't understand who Jesus is. And what we're going to read here is the Apostle Paul teaching that all believers, all children of God are in Christ. And I know I've done this many, many times, but it's like, it's like taking the best you can offer. And here it is. And we stand before God and God... The prophet Isaiah said, and if you think the Bible is rated G, you need to go back to the censorship board and actually check the letter at the bottom of the screen because the Bible is very blunt at times and it says, the best you can offer God is as filthy, bloody menstrual rags. Ever read that? Your righteousness is as filthy rags. What kind of rags do you think it's talking about? Imagine standing before God and going, here's my menstrual rags. Impressed? That's what the Bible says you're doing if you're approaching God on your own. Not my concept. That's the prophet Isaiah talking. Your righteousness is the best you can do is as filthy rags. So these people who say, I don't need Jesus, I don't need Christianity, it's just a crutch. Me and the man upstairs, we've got a special deal going, are deluded. What does it mean to be in Christ? It means that we take our best and we go, it's not. That's not going to do it. That's not good enough. I just need Jesus. And we're in Jesus. So that when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. And believer, if you know who you are because of that, it'll change your mental outlook. Those moments when you're anxious about those final moments of your life. And please, for some of you, I may be at your bedside when you're dying as I have been with several people in this church. And in those moments, please know right now that if you're a believer and you're in Christ, you're right with God. You're right with God. You can approach the next life, which is really, if you're a believer, a continuation of this life with great peace. So we find Paul now having gone through Chapter 1, we come to verse 24. And I want to show you the things that Paul says qualified him to be a minister of this message, a minister of the gospel. So here we are. Qualities of a Christ-caused, committed servant of Jesus. And this is going to be my challenge when we're done. To challenge you to commit your life to this cause. To show you there's no higher purpose than to be committed to the cause of Christ. To be committed to it. The qualities of a Christ cause committed servant of Jesus. Notice verse 24. The first three words. Now I rejoice. <laughs> Just take it on their own. Now I rejoice. You think wow gee having a good time. What, what does your Christianity look like when it's under pressure and stress? What does your commitment to Christ look like? When things aren't going the way you thought they would be going? Does it look like I'm rejoicing? Here's one of the first qualities of a Christ cause committed servant of Jesus. They have a good attitude. (laughs) They have a good attitude. And we're going to read in a moment that Paul says, I'm doing all this because I love the church. (laughs) I rejoice. I rejoice. You Notice the next few words. In my sufferings. I rejoice in my sufferings. Golly. I know that there are plenty of guys in white suits and wear Rolex watches when they preach in stadiums and crusades and... And they tell you that God wants you to be happy and healthy and wealthy. And if if you're not, then it's the devil. And I've even heard and I've even read some of these guys say that if the Apostle Paul had their revelation, he would never have gone to prison. It's just dumb. Now, I know it sells books and I know it fills stadiums and I know people give big into big offerings for these evangelists and I know that but it's not scriptural it's not scriptural I was listening to Willie Lane Craig yesterday one of the world's greatest philosophers who's a Christian and he was reflecting on difficult times and Christians and he said this I have come to realise that God often uses failure to teach the Christian the lessons he wants them to learn failure Suffering, hardship, disappointment. Things don't go the way you were hoping. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, there are some people who run a race for a prize and they will train 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 just to win an ivy wreath. And he says, and that perishes. And he says in 1 Corinthians 9... That as Christians we're not running in a race to win a wreath that perishes. We're running to win eternal life. We're running as if everything we do now counts and matters. You know, as I as I read this now, I rejoice in my sufferings. Oh man, I've never been imprisoned for preaching. Oh. To be quite frank, I hope I never am. I've got this allergy to pain. I just hope that none of us, and I hope that it never gets to that here in in Tasmania, in Australia, that we're persecuted for acting out what we know God wants. But what if? What if? What if the government passed legislation that said you can't preach on certain... Texts of the Bible, like they have in Canada. They're not allowed to preach on Leviticus 18 and 19 in Canada. It's it's illegal. It's an offence. If if someone had said to me a few years ago, this is where a Western country would go, you just think, you've got to be joking. But it's happening now. The United States is looking at introducing... Certain vilification laws that will mean calling someone a sinner will bring a charge of vilification against a preacher. Okay, what if they do that here? What are we going to do? <laughs> I hope we're going to start a prison ministry. <laughs> and I wish you all the well. I'll come and visit you. And it will... <laughs> But, but So there's an extreme. But, but what about those times when we're suffering under annoyance? Something's annoying us. Someone around us is being a pain. We're under stress, we're under pressure, and someone is annoying us. And we're suffering in such a minuscule way compared to this. Do we rejoice? Hmm. Okay. Now that I've brought everybody under the same condemnation... Let's, let's then approach this and go, that's a goal. That's where I want to be because that's my goal. I want to be there. When I'm under stress, when I'm under pressure, when things are starting to get to me and it's annoying me, God, help me to rejoice. Help me to do it. All right. You notice it says, That he rejoiced in his suffering. So what do we see there is the second quality of a Christ-caused, committed servant of Jesus. Number two, they endure hardship for Christ's church. They endure hardship for Christ's church. He rejoiced in his sufferings, in my sufferings. I hope we can endure. We We don't live in a culture that champions endurance. But I hope we display that as a quality in this church, that we endure. When it's hard, we endure. Now notice the next expression, for your sake. He's going to go on and say that again in a different way. In the last half of that verse, he says this, for the sake of his body, that is the church. Now I'm skipping over a little section in this verse which is extremely controversial so let me just make a comment about it paul says now i rejoice in my sufferings for your sake in my flesh i am here's the controversial statement i'm filling up what is lacking in christ's afflictions here's the controversy roman catholics say that the suffering of christ was not sufficient to redeem people more suffering is needed. And that suffering is carried out through the mass and through the persecution of believers. Now here's a principle of Bible interpretation. Whenever a verse is interpreted that completely contradicts the overall message of Scripture, chances are we've misinterpreted that one verse. Because the overall message of Scripture is that the sufferings of Christ... Were totally sufficient to save the world of its sin. There is no need for anyone else to add anything to what Christ has done. So, what is Paul saying here? It seems that Paul is saying that Christ's body will suffer. That's it. And that when we suffer, it's to be expected. That's it. There's more suffering to come. Have we seen the worst of the persecution or oh, sorry no. let me put that another way. Will the church into the future be a persecuted church? Yes, it will. Yes, it will. The, the, the really sad thing is that where the church is comfortable, it doesn't seem to grow. And it's one of the concerns I have here. The more I pray, oh God, I want to see this church grow, in the back of my mind, I know God has a consistent strategy to make sure that happens. And that is to put us through suffering. So I have another kind of prayer that says this, help us to be the one exception throughout all church history (laughs) that can actually flourish and thrive and at the same time be thankful for all the good things we have and not have the need to suffer. Who's with me? Do you hear that, God? <laughs> <laughs> now that that expression that Paul finishes off in verse twenty-four, for the sake of the body, that is the church. Here's the third quality of Christ-cause committed servants of Jesus. They love Christ's bride. They love Christ's bride. Do you know, there's a whole bunch of people writing a whole bunch of books at the moment who are just beating up on the bride. George Barner, Frank Viola, all these guys, they are just writing books to savage the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ is getting beaten up. And I love the bride of Christ. I love the church. I love meeting together on Sunday. I love meeting together on Monday. I love the fact that we can pray together. We can worship together. We can cooperate together. We can serve each other. We can be the church. And I know these guys are saying, well, I don't need anybody telling me what God's will for my life is. I can hear from God myself. And, you know, I hear that kind of stuff in these books called the emerging church. It's what they call themselves. We're emerging out of that old traditional Wine skin and we're becoming this new trendy church that we can just do church in a pub when we slosh down a couple of beers and we just talk about Jesus. We're doing church right there. And I go, gee, that's, that's interesting because I remember in the Garden of Eden, Satan appeared through a serpent. And he said this to the woman, has God undermined God's authority? Has God said Undermine God's word. And what am I hearing these guys do today? Undermining God's authority. You don't need somebody to... And I tell you, it's a very trendy thing. Hollywood makes movies about people that say this, I'm not going to let anyone tell me what to do. I'm going to be make my day maverick. And it's, yeah, like, go, you rugged individual who's not like the rest of us. And we're going to watch the movie and go and buy their clothes and buy their hat and buy their things. And we're going to be individuals too, or the whole lot of us together. <laughs> and there's something about what Paul is saying here that we're in this together. And I know that there's a, a trendy thing that says, don't let anyone tell you what to do. But that's the way Christ has ordered his bride. He wants to tell us what to do. And we need to submit to him. And Paul says, I love this church. I love the bride. I do this for the sake of the bride, the body of Christ. I love the bride. It's one of the qualities of someone committed to the cause of Christ. That they love the bride. I spoke with someone recently who said that they really felt called to go into ministry. I said, that's great. I said, you know what that might mean? What? You may have to start coming to church regularly. (laughs) (laughs) Verse 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God. Here's the fourth thing I see about those who are committed to the cause of Christ and want to serve Jesus. They know their call. They know what it is. They know their call. Paul knew what his call was. Paul's call was to preach, establish churches, and, and make sure those churches grew in the, in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. Paul knew his call. Paul had a very definite call. Struck on the road to Damascus, Christ appeared to him, spoke to him very clearly. Confirmed prophetically initially through the prophet Ananias Paul knew his call do you know what you're not do you know what you're not good at do you know what you're not called to do some of us are really worried and stressed sometimes about well what am I called to do well let's worry about that in a moment do you know what you're not called to do I recently had um, someone in this church who I love de- just dearly came to me and said, Andrew, you roster me on for this, and I'm just not very good at it. And I was thinking, prior to them coming to me, how do I tell them they're not very good at this, and that I can't roster them on anymore? And <laughs> they came and told and I thought, oh, that's a real shame. It's uh, okay. <laughs> not quite. But it was, it's a good thing when people recognise, look, I'm, this isn't me. This is not who I am. Paul knew who he was. What if your ministry, your call, is as a team player? You know, yesterday I'm watching, and I'm always looking for some sort of analogy between football so I can spiritually justify spending two hours in front of a TV watching it. So I was, <laughs> I was watching these guys. And there's that young player taylor who was tagging um, nick rewald and at times you know he he never kicked a goal hardly did anything his one job was to annoy nick rewald and he did it really really well and when it came time to the most valuable player on the field the guy who kicked the most goals got the thing because they're the standout they're the ones that get the accolades and um, Chapman got it, and he was, you know, he, was, he did really well. But I'm thinking, what about that kid down the other end of the field? He just, at one time, he threw his stomach onto the boot of Nick Rewald. He literally put his body on the line. I think, wonder if anybody went up to this kid and said, "Our team won because of what you did today." Wonder if anyone did that. What about in a church when somebody's just saying hello to people as they come through the door and just sets a tone? Does anyone go up to them and go, you really blessed me this morning. My wife and I, we were arguing in the car on the way here. The kids were there and we came in and you just smiled and it just diffused everything. Thank you. What about about the little things that are done that make up for a really good church experience and a really good church? What about the people who ring you up and say, I'm about to bring a meal around. They don't get mentioned on a Sunday. No accolades. Do you know what your call is? For some, your call is hospitality. For some, your call is preaching. I want to see preachers raised up in this church. Increasingly, I'm going to be travelling and away. I'm away next week and I'm going to be travelling increasingly. And I want to see people in this church know how to use their call to preach. And Paul knew what his call was, and I think that's an important thing. They know what their call is. My dad once said to me, I'm not called to preach, and he's not. He's not a man of words. He said, my call is just to serve. I don't like it when people say just. When people say to a woman, what do you do? And she says, oh, I'm just a mother. I actually reckon that should be probably worded like this. Me? Oh, I'm privileged and blessed to have one of the greatest jobs on the planet. I'm a mum. Oh, you are? Can I have your autograph? It's like, wow. Really? What a great thing. Spurgeon said the greatest evangelists he had in his church were mothers. And they are. Okay. So Paul knew what his ministry was. And what what was it? He says in verse 25, to make the word of God fully known. Now I relate to this. There's something in me that hungers to learn and hungers to teach. This was Paul's call. I feel a similar call. What's your call? I think it's important to know it. I thank God that there are some people in this church who say, Andrew, we're going to help you fulfill your call. And that's their call. There are are people that help with the radio program, help with the video work, they help with other things. And And then there are other people who serve in other ways. We know what our call is. I want you to see that in verse 26, this is what Paul says, having to make... The word of God fully known, verse 26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations now revealed to the saints. Now, here's where I want you to see Paul is having a dig. Remember I said what the Gnostics were on about? The mystery. You know, we know the mystery. You need to be initiated into the mystery. So here's, here's something that all Christ-caused, committed followers of Jesus are. They are, they are initiated regarding God's purposes. What's God's purpose? That people are reconciled to him through Jesus and become a part of the church. That's it. And out of the church, they serve. They are farmers. They are builders. They are retailers. They are whatever. But it starts with being reconciled to God, becoming part of the church. That's the mystery. That's the plan of God. That's the mystery that Paul says God has revealed to him. And that's it. It's a mystery, the plan of God revealed. Now, I want you to see in the last little section here that Paul was on a mission. And I believe every Christ-caused, committed follower of Jesus is also on a mission. What is that mission? As we read on, verse 27, To them God chose. Boy, they're precious words. To them God chose. Why are you a Christian? Because God chose you. Do you realize that? Now, I've had stand-up arguments with people that said, no, I chose. I go, okay, tell me about your conversion. Can you see the hand of God on your life bringing you to that point of conversion? And without exception, everyone I've spoken to have said, oh, well, yeah, I, I was. I was set up. But I don't know if it's that way with everyone. Let me. Get, I'll, I'll let you in on a tip. It is. God orchestrates sometimes events that look bizarre to bring people to Christ. That's why it's fantastic to hear testimonies. People share these amazing stories of how God was working in their life, bringing them to that point where they became a Christian. Here's our mission, our first mission. We've got to look for those God has found. Now, we can be in a room of 100 people and God may have found one person there. We go in and we share this message and the lights go on for one person. And 99 just go, what are you? What? (laughs) Pass the peanuts. It's like, they just don't even get it. That's okay. We found one. Didn't Jesus do that all the time? Went for a stroll. Went for a stroll at night. John chapter 3. What on earth is Jesus doing going for a stroll at night? I'll be back later, boys. I'm just going for a stroll. <whistles> Nicodemus. Let's go for a walk. And we have John chapter 3. He found one that God had found. Jesus says to the disciples, you go on ahead. I'm just going to sit here and by this well. And he found the woman. Sometimes we're looking for the crowd. But is there one in your life right now that God has brought into your life? We're on a mission to find that one. I hope over the next week or two, we see the one that God has found. What else is our mission? We read on here, to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. And we read that as Christians. We have a heritage of Christianity that goes back hundreds of years. We're about to go. Some of us, four of us in this church, are off to India in a few weeks where they don't have that. And for them, the way they find peace with God is to put these fist-sized fish hooks in their back with chains attached to it with a one-tonne idol on logs and drag it up a hill to a shrine, believing that that act... Pleases that God. So when we read good news, because of what Jesus has done, you've now got the hope of glory in you. You've been forgiven, you've been cleansed, you've been washed. There's nothing you have to do, you just accept and, and live in Jesus and live for Jesus, and you're accepted by God. Imagine saying that to people who spent their life whipping themselves, cutting themselves, beating themselves, trying to appease the gods. Here in our culture, we don't get it. I hope the eyes of our understanding are open, but we're on a mission so that people do get it, so that people understand. Now, here we go. I want you to see something here. Verse 28, him we proclaim. Paul did several things. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul, See the three things Paul did? He proclaimed, he warned, and he taught. We have to do that as well. And what was his goal? To present everyone mature in Christ. And that's my goal as pastor of this church, so we can be mature. Not know-it-all, it's not elite. But the more we know Christ, the more humble we'll become. The more we know Christ, the more we'll mix with others, not withdraw. And finally, verse 29. I want you to see this. For this I toil. Struggling. Paul called his ministry a struggle. For this I toil struggling. But how did he struggle? With all the energy that powerfully works within me. And here's our comfort. If I read this list out to you and go, who wants to be a Christ-cause committed follower of Jesus? I hope we all go, yeah, but I don't know if I can. (laughs) I've got good news for you. The Holy Spirit wants to work in you and help you to do it. Let's pray. Holy Spirit... We are candidates right now for you to come and fill us, for you to come and live in us, for you to come and do what only you can do in and through us. Father, there are people here who have grown cold and they need the fire of the Holy Spirit rebirthed in them so that they are indeed Christ-caused, committed followers of Jesus. Father, there are those of us that, We read Paul saying, now we warn people and there's no sense of urgency about us. So I pray, Father, that you would again place that urgency in us, that sense of foreboding that if people don't turn to Jesus, there's dire consequences to face. And oh God, help us to be motivated by your love for people, your love for others. Help us to love your bride and to love the people that you want to see in your bride. Help us, oh God, to do that, I pray. Father, I pray for me as pastor of this church. I pray that you would help me to shepherd with a shepherd's heart, a shepherd's, a shepherd's wisdom. And I pray, Lord, that as we, as we each and all seek you, that as a church we will grow and we will fill and we will, we will see this community reached for Jesus. And that, Father, you will help us to avoid this the temptation of thinking that we're actually better than we are. and Oh God, help us to walk humbly with you. Now, if you're here today and you know that you've grown distant or cold, compromise has come into your life, the things of Christ don't excite you like they should, then today I'm calling you back. I'm calling you to come to Christ be forgiven and cleansed i'm calling you to lay your life down afresh to surrender to him and his cause perhaps you're here and you've never given your life to christ perhaps you are that one in the room that god has already found and you're here today and you're listening to me right now and something is burning inside you that says i need to be made right with god And I pray for you as well, that one cry from your heart, oh God, forgive me, cleanse me, and come into my life, will transform you for all eternity, beginning right now, in Jesus' name,
0: amen. Committed to the cause of Christ, is that your heart? And does your life reflect that? Sobering questions for each of us to answer. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Colossians Part 4, are available from Lagana Media. You can contact us at P.O. Box 1143 Lagana, Tasmania 7277 or via the website findingtruthmatters.org. If you'd like to subscribe to the monthly e-newsletter Perspectives, visit findingtruthmatters.org and click subscribe. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to having you join us at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.